You're listening to Reflections, a song music podcast with Jamie and Ash, where we discuss the classic albums with the classic songs. Welcome to another Reflections podcast, the uh, podcast where we analyze or talk about classic soul albums. Uh, at the moment, we're doing a Neo Soul, a Neo Soul series. Mm. Although, Ash, I think um, I think I might have to uh, retire that that genre because Erica doesn't like it. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, well, or she doesn't care about it or she doesn't she care does, about it the name doesn't mean anything it's just yeah. a name you know yeah it's very yeah. very interesting sorry how you been Ash yeah, yeah, yeah all good all good peak times but yeah all good it actually given the events going on in the world looking at this album mm-hmm. at this time um, I mean, we've looked at D'Angelo and we've looked at Maxwell, um, but none, neither of the two albums went into to black culture the way that, that this one did uh, and explored it. So it actually feels quite apt that we, we've looked at this album this week. Um, yeah, with everything going on in the world of the Black Lives Matter movement. Absolutely. And I don't think I actually stated what album we're going to be doing, but we are doing this week. We're doing Baduism by Erica Badu. And that album was recorded between January and October of 1996. So over a 10 month period, it was released February 11th, 1997. And the album was hugely successful. It sold three million copies, more than Hank Sweet, more than Brown Sugar. She was signed to uh, Universal by way of Kedar, Kedar Massenberg. And if you recognize his name, he was D'Angelo's manager, right? Yeah. Yeah. D'Angelo's manager. And he's the man responsible for the term Neo Soul. Um, because at the time, he had two artists, D'Angelo and Erica Badu, obviously. So, and they were doing music that wasn't part of the uh, the typical R and B landscape of the time. So, set it apart, neo soul. Mm. Producers and writers, this album more than the previous two is a real collaboration. There's a lots of people on here. Um, a lot of people I don't know. So, what I'll do is I'll don't go through everybody, but I just go through people that are like more significant. Obviously, uh, Badu has got producer and writer credits on here. There's a gentleman called Maduku Chimwa. Um, he's worked with Common before. Um, yeah, he's he's quite important because I think he. Well, I'll get to it when we go through the singles. But he he wrote or produced one of those. We got our man Bob Power. Um, she talks about him in a lot of the interviews um, around the on and on. He uh, he production credits, but also a great a master mixer, and yeah. uh, she cites a lot of the 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 sonics on Baduism. It's because of him, you know. She says it was a lot rawer before before the original sort of demo of the album, but once he got in his hands, he made it a bit brighter and a bit more. I guess radio worthy. 
Yeah, so that's that guy there. You got the roots. They're all over it. Really important. And then James Poser. He's part of the roots, but I just I just sort of like to pull him out apart because he has worked with so many people. Uh D'Angelo. He, he has a reputation in his own right. In, yeah. In his own name. Exactly a, that. An amazing keys man. So yeah. yeah he does so, stand alone. So yeah. D'Angelo, John Legend, Eric Benet, Lauren Hill, Mariah Carey, just loads of people. And uh, the last one I'm going to mention is uh, the dude with the most 90s, 90s stage name, Tone the Backbone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, as 90s as hell. And uh, he uh, uh, produced one of the three um, singles. I won't go into which one, but um, I will... When we get to it, I will mention him. But uh, his credits, uh, the only credits I could find for him is uh, being a musician with Mark Morrison. <laughs> and playing... <laughs> exactly, yes. And, play, <laughs> and playing... Uh, yeah, playing on Return of the Mac. So wow. Not even a producer, but like uh, a keys player on the track. Okay. Yeah. Okay, it was 96, wasn't it? Return of the Mac. Uh, somewhere around there. Mm. But okay. that... Uh, that obviously got him some kind of kudos. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there's a lot other there's a lot more other producers um on this album, but yeah, it's just like it's it just goes off. So, Ash, you ready to get into it? Do you wanna Yeah, yeah let's go. Wanna, let's go, let's go, let's go. Do you wanna say anything about the album just before because we after we do the singles, we will sort of like go into greater depth. But is there anything you wanna say just around about the time it came out and Whatever. Um, so again, just digging back into it, the uh, and listening to her talk, she said she was in a coffee shop when she first heard of Brown Sugar. Working in a coffee shop, like she wrote on and on in '94, she was performing at some back like then. That, yeah. So like she had she had already been writing the songs and and having an an idea of what it was gonna be before Brown Sugar and Hang Sweet started the, the neo-soul revolution, so to speak. She was already plotting and planning it um, artistically, I think, going off of what she says and how she talks about it all. And just the fact that she'd written those songs years prior to their actual completion and release. Um, and yeah, just as a body of work, it it pushes the sound forward and it also gives the first clear female voice to the movement and the sound as well, which is highly important um, in terms of the fact that she is not, she's not what's become the traditional neo-soul female artist. It's not powerhouse vocals. It's, it's storytelling and, uh, and, and amazing vocals, but um you know, it's it's not about the strength and the range and the depth of her voice. It's about how she uses it to tell her stories and combine with the music. And it's an, an incredible body of work. Cool. Good. I like it, Ash. The first single from this album is probably her most famous, I reckon. You, would Definitely. you say? Her most famous, Definitely. right? Most recognizable. Yeah. And that would be On and On. On and On is not only the first single from the album, but it was the biggest hit. Mm. Now, here we get into a bit of a 
maybe you can make sense of this, right? So the internet, <laughs> the internet is telling me that this album was, I mean, this single was released in the December of 96. But watching an interview with Erica, she reckons this, the single wasn't released until February 11, uh, 7th, 97. And then the album came out the, on the 11th. Mm. Now that makes more sense because when you see, it went to number one. It was hugely successful. Number one on the R&B charts in the States. Um, so it's hugely successful. But it was number one two-week period in February. So could it, be, could it be one of the ones that it was actually officially released in December, but it didn't get picked up for radio play until later? And then a re-release would have occurred, maybe? Something like that, Ash? Because the, maybe, the but by, landscape was a bit strange back in the 90s, it seems. No, but by, by the late 90s, we were, we were getting to a point in terms of single sales. Mm-hmm. So previously, um, all throughout music history, like single sales were growers. They would start yeah. right at the end of the chart and they would work their way up as more people got exposed to it and heard it and went out and bought it. Um, but as we as we moved into the 90s, the the climate and culture around buying singles changed. And what started to happen was songs wouldn't stay in the charts for as long. They would kind of go in early and they would be hyped up and hyped up and hyped up. So when they were were released, they kind of went straight in at number one because people have been waiting for so long to get their hands on it um, that they just rushed out and bought it and they, they went and got it. It kind of would make sense that if it was released in February and if people had been hearing it for months, that, that yeah, it would have gone straight to number one or would have been around the top and wouldn't have spent as much time growing. So there, there, there is kind of, there could be an argument for both. Um, with Erica being the way that she is, I don't know if I would trust her saying that the, that single came out first necessarily um, or her maybe getting the dates a little bit mixed up. But let's let's go for her word with it and say it came out in February. Yeah, so she Stop says February the 7th and it was number one uh, for two weeks. Uh, the week starting February the 8th and the week's commenced in February the 15th. So she might she might be onto something there. I'll, I'll give mm-hmm. her the benefit of that as well. But also, let me... Let me switch back to my notes. In regards to chart position as well. So in the UK, did really well um, for that, for this style of music. Number 12 in the UK charts, which I would say is a decent, very decent showing. And uh, in the US pop charts, the top 100 or the hot 100, whatever they call it, number 12 there as well. Phenomenally well for this for this star, and the reason why I, I I would say it did phenomenally well as well. I was checking out the R and B landscape of the time that this song would have come out. So think about it. D'Angelo was two years ago, two years prior to that. Uh, Maxwell was the year before. In the R and B charts at the time, check this out, Ash. This is interesting. So the week before she goes to number one, uh, R Kelly is number one with I Believe I Can Fly. And then, right, and then the week after her second week of being number one, the next number one artist is uh, Drew Hill with In My Bed. And then after that, it's uh, Puff Daddy featuring Mace. Then it's Drew Hill again, Notorious B.I.G. Right, she's the only one of that style 
that hit number one in that year. Just to show how how much of an impact she made. Because it would have yeah. been difficult, right? It would have been it would have been difficult within that time. No, it was um a new R and B sound was coming through, a club sound was coming through as well. And again, in a time when you don't have access to all of the songs straight away, going to the club and hearing a song there, you know, is where you where you consume new music and where you got your your hit of it. So yeah, she was they were going up against a, a new fresh sound in the R and B world that that was that was relevant um, as well. But they still managed to create a niche for themselves, and I think that's one of my findings of this album as well. It's the first time I really saw how black music crossed over to a white audience and a white audience really engaging in it and loving it for the musicality and the sound and and everything she was saying and everything she was doing like and i think that helped because your drew hill your mace and your puff daddy and that it it pretty much stayed in a in a black world so to speak and that's not Mm -hmm. to say that other races didn't engage in it but it would it's definitely a you had to be a different experience yeah you had to be into r&b really if you if you're into those artists yeah definitely Um, from what I found so yeah I mean again I I put it out there last night and like there was I I wanted feedback from people just to get their their take on what they loved about the album Mm -hmm. but there was three people that I wanted their feedback more than anyone else and it's three ladies that I went to college with uh, and yeah white as day and in love with Erica Badu and this album and a lot of the music that we made in college was off the back of the inspiration that that this album provided them and it just it opened my eyes because it it made me see for the first time properly firsthand just how powerful music can be and how music doesn't have to be in a black box and it doesn't have to be in a white box actually you can you can like different types of music and still like this you can still be into r&b and like this you can still be into indian oasis and still like this Mm. like this album um, yeah, did a phenomenal, phenomenal job for me personally of just opening my eyes to that and seeing just how well it crosses over. And I think it crosses over mostly because of the musicality, mostly because of the way it it combines jazz and soul and hip hop, um, and it, it brings it together beautifully, beautifully in a in a kind of like a an acoustic real music way like as much as there's production values on all of the tracks it still feels quite stripped down raw four-piece jazz quartet type vibe you know that kind of makes sense yeah it does make sense i mean especially on this track uh on and on um it's i mean the video says i think the video really captures what she was going for with the sound. I mean, when you watch it, um, if you're familiar with the film, the movie Colour Purple, then you will know what the visuals and what she was going for. And then in, in the Colour Purple, that movie, there's that iconic scene uh, where the lady's singing in the, in the juke joint. And that's, that's Erica has that in the video where she's doing that. And, and that, to me, that just says everything that she was going for. You know, the, the whole, it was the whole, 
look and feel and the sound of the of the song and i i'm not gonna lie when this came out i didn't like it i didn't like it and i i've been thinking about it for the last like few weeks why i didn't like it because it's obviously quality music but i think it's whereas daniel maxwell even though they were doing sort of like old school soul music and making it sort of like fresher and more accessible for make it make it accessible for a 90s person's ear she was doing the same but she was doing it with um even an older form of music so it was clear from you sound you hear the sound of her voice you you know she she's a billy holiday fan she's got to be right or she's been influenced by billy holiday or and um ella fitzgerald those types and for me even though yes I was a musician and I kind of respected those artists. That is not what I wanted to hear at that time. <laughs> I got to say this without sounding like a dick. I was a bit of a contrarian back in my, in my, in my, in my younger days. And everyone jumped onto this track. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, uh, Erica Badu, on and on. And I was just like, ah, it's all right. It's all right. Ah, she's not. Yeah, maybe. Nah, I'm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about her. And that's how I felt. And uh, it's. It was. It's such a weird way to think. Because now I'm just like, I love this album way more now than I did back then. Way more. I respect it way more. Um, I think musically it's top notch. Where if you would have asked me back then, I'd been like. <laughs> No, I don't think it's of the quality of Maxwell or Hank Sweet or, or Brown Sugar. Definitely. And then, like I said, and this song really, for a, for an opening single as well, it just I was just like, oh, I'm not, well, I, I'm, I'm not sure about this. But as we, as we move on to the next single and then the third single, I, I, she slowly turned me around. And then obviously with the live album then, I I got it. I feel like it was a there was a part of me that just didn't get it, and mm-hmm. I feel like I, I I know why, but I just feel like gosh, my younger self must such a dick. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> so I just knew nothing because yeah, it, it's it's mad. Um, no, but like, I I didn't get into it straight away. It took a it took a couple of years mm. for me to to properly appreciate it, but. You can't like deny like the iconicness of oh. that opening oh, no. opening four bars. Hell you no. know? Like and the way it's kind of set her up and just that oh my my my. Like it, she we talked about um Ascension being like the perfect introduction to Maxwell and, and what an amazing introduction it was for him as an artist and a and a singer and the video and that. And I think on and on did exactly the same job. For Erica, like you know that that opening beat, her my my my, I'm feeling high. She just told you everything that what you're gonna get from me straight away, and the video conveyed it perfectly as well. Set up where she's at, what she's about, and it looks so good. Yeah, like that, the quality of the video, it, it just you know it, it looked like film set yeah. quality, you know, yeah. and it was such a good job of just. Um, really kind of making, helping her make her mark and just saying, look, this is a solid certified artist and this is the next one that you need to be getting into. Yeah, and I think 
another reason why um, this song would have passed me by in terms of me not liking it as much as I do now is that Erica is very much a lyricist, right? And her lyrics are very important. Um, yeah. And at the time, in my musical growth, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a music, I'm a melodies, I'm a melodies person first. Whereas I think, I feel like with Erica's music, and especially on and on as well, um, a lot of the reasons, reason why it's great is because the quality of the lyrics. And she's a, mm-hmm. she's a superb lyric writer, you know, and it, and it really does shine on this, on this track as well. But again, if you're not into lyrics, as I wasn't at the time, that's, that's going to totally, you know, all well, that's going to go over my head. But what I will say to concur with what, um, what you said about the track as well, um, this one, it's um, not only is the opening really strong, but the melody she's singing, it's, a, it's like a series, it just hooks everywhere. Like you say, my, 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 what a day, what a day. All, all that stuff, it's just like, it stays in your head. It's just, it's just hooky. Yeah, the hell. man that knows nothing, the man that knows something knows that he knows nothing at all. Like, it's, it's, you know? Yeah. It's, ah. it's crazy. So and the bridge, well, and the, like the bridge middle eight, the way it really, where she builds it up and it turns into a full-fledged mm-hmm. jazz song and kind of loses the hip-hop element for that that section and she just really kind of sings out and then yeah. they just bring it back and mm-hmm. they just bring it back to the yeah sick sick a- absolutely sick and uh yeah bonafide bonafide classic and a superb just a superb track i'm just gonna move on because uh yeah. i think we could talk about that one for ages um so her next release which was the one that started make start, started the uh, turnaround for me um was next lifetime Released uh, May 6th, 97, written by Badu. And this was the one produced by Tone, the Backbone. Okay. Wow, what a um, credit. What a credit. Great. See, now, I know why I, the, the turnaround started for me, because you hear this now, and it's, it's more in my wheelhouse. It's got that sort of, like, soul, it's got soul groove, and it's just like, yeah, it's, definitely in my wheelhouse then and it's I felt like okay now she's doing stuff that I like now forget all that um Billie Holiday jazzy stuff this is more this is more soul soul jazzy but like in a in a more accessible way for me for my ears um and then um the video is really interesting as well for this um if if you haven't seen it it's well the song the song's about um, songs about her being with someone, but sort of meeting someone else, kind of liking that person, but being like, "No, I'm in a relationship, so I'll see you the next lifetime." So the video, what the video does, it starts off in um, back in the day somewhere. I think she's in an African village, is she? Yeah, yeah, she's in an African village, and again, she likes someone, but she's like, "Oh no, I'm not sure. I'm with someone." Blah blah blah, and then see you next lifetime, and then it switches to uh, the sort of like. The civil, civil civil rights movement, right? She looks yeah. like she's in like a, a Black Panther type crew, and then she she meets the guy again, and then they get together in obviously next lifetime, and it goes on to another future part as well, and it's just really interesting, and it's got like great cameos in it. It's got um, Andre Three Thousand, who was who was a uh, her her partner at the time. Um, they just, I think they just had a child that year, 
that same year, 97, their first child. And um, it's got Method Man yeah. in there as well, who I was, a, even though I'm not a massive hip hop fan, um, I am a Wu-Tang fan. <laughs> so he was really recognizable and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So basically she's doing some music that I recognize, that, I, that speaks to me. It makes more sense to my ears. And now she's got this great cameo of, of this great rapper in it. I was like, yeah, okay. Still not totally sold, but yeah, definitely, definitely on the way there. Yeah, it's it's a much fuller song in in the sound, like sonically, with the way like the keys are used. It it just fills up a lot. There's there's less space for it to breathe and for it to feel raw and and kind of stripped down. It's it's much more produced than the other tracks are, and um, I think it's I think it's more relatable, which is why yeah it it makes it a bit more accessible. Um, and yeah, for guys and girls, like, I think for, for me personally as well, part of the, the reason it took more time to get into it is because it's a female experience. Um, and she's, she's speaking of the female experience. So as a guy, and especially as a young guy, like it's, it's harder to appreciate that and to, to get an understanding of it and, um, and embrace it to a, to a fuller extent. So, yeah, I, I think one of the, the real wins on this song is that it's, it's a piece that is relatable for both guys and girls and, and you can talk about it and you can sing along to it and you can think about it. Um, I couldn't find a copy of the whole video. Um, yeah. I only found like a half snippet, but it's funny because I remember what the video was. Mm-hmm. Like I remember that, that African tribe scene, right? Like it's clear as day in my mm-hmm. head. So again, it speaks to what they were, how they used the videos at the time, and and what a good job that they did, of of kind of telling the story of the song and using the images. And again, it's very black. It's you know, it's, oh, it's unapologetically black and mm-hmm. talking of the black experience, um, which again, like it, another another testament to the way that the music was able to cross racial barriers and and stand for what it was and not be offensive and not put anyone off people just enjoyed it for the art that it was and took the message that they needed to take from it um it you know it yes i I love it i love the imagery of it all and and how she built herself together and how all of the pieces of the puzzle were put together in each single, in each song, in each lyric, in in the way that she performed, the way that she was in her interviews. Like, I don't know if you saw the Jules Holland clips um, that she did in '97. Yeah, yeah, I did you watch know, it. Like the, the way that she is on stage, they they really and I'm and again just listening to her talk. I'm sure she was a major part in it all, but she just put together this brilliant package. Um, of her and what she was about um and yeah storyteller supreme in every mm. every way every way i mean once you <laughs> once i started listening to the lyrics i got so drawn in to her but probably it didn't even though the change started happening during this album it probably wasn't to the second album where I, I really sort of like it took hold, but it definitely started here. Um, and yeah, started with this track. And that's why, even though there are a lot of other Eric Biddy tracks that I love, I have a soft spot for Next Lifetime because I always feel like this that was the first one that made me like, no, 
I, I feel like there's something that I need to come back to and listen to with her. Yeah. Cool. Anything else to say about this one, Ash? I'm gonna no, just a great on. song, perfect single. Um, I, I think it's the most obvious single on the album next to On and On as well. I, I don't think I don't think I, there's anything I would, else. I would out. agree. I would absolutely agree. Yeah. And, and it's placed, I think it's placed right as well. As a yeah. Single, yeah. Um, oh, I didn't mention um, that just chart positions. Um, it went to number 30 over mm. here in the UK. Not bad. Again, didn't enter the pop charts in the States and um, got to, depending what website you want to believe, either number one on the US R&B charts or number three on the US R&B charts. There's conflicting information there, but still decent. And yeah, it's a great song. So on to release number three. Um, And this is the final release. This uh, she only released three from this album. Personally, my favorite from the album. Other side of the game. And there's a reason why this is, this is now my favorite. It wasn't always, but it. You know, it. Remember when we did um, when we uh, did the Instagram and we spoke about the Erica Badu versus Jill Scott, and you asked me the question. So, what was your favorite? What's your favorite track that Erica played? And I was like, well, my favorite Erica track is Danger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, other side of the game is Danger Part One, basically. That's what it. That's basically what it is. I mean, even the the intro to Danger is the intro to Other Side of the Game, and I loved Other Side of the Game. Um, well, I didn't love it, but again, it was another track that I liked from this album. But sort of like further on in my Erica Badu journey, when once Danger came out, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's the this is the second part to that tune. Went back and listened to this one. I'm like, again, lyrics and this one. I feel like this one is really significant because basically she's talking about, um, I'm not, I wouldn't say necessarily that her partner that she's speaking about is, is a drug dealer, but he's, he's, he's doing some, he's got some job that's a bit sketchy, but she's like, she's talking about like, yeah, he's doing a sketchy thing, but he's a good person and he's not a dummy. You know, he's like, not that he's without education, she says, you know? Yeah. He's got a complex situation, not without education. And lyrically it's so strong. And it, it, it does. If you, if you're, if you're from a background that's not sort of around sort sort of crime or whatever, whatever, it does a good job of sort of like conveying it from the other side. You know, like, you know, not everyone that does crime is a bad person. It's, it's, it's complex. It's complicated. And yeah, this is a great tune. Plus, lyrics aside, the groove, the groove is tough. It, it's, it's, again, in my wheelhouse. Um, the live version on her, on her live album is amazing as well. Um, yeah, I've got nothing but uh, love for this, for this tune. Um, probably at the time, at the time when it came out, again, I was just like, nah, it's, it's cool. It's good. It's more in my wheelhouse. But I've just grown to love this track over the years. And um, yeah, definitely one of my faves. Um, written by Badu, mm-hmm. Westlove, James Poser, and Richard Nichols, who serves as uh, The Roots' manager. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, he's on there, produced by The Roots and Richard Nichols as well. So basically The Roots produced. Mm. So banging track. And uh, I think The Roots only produced two tracks from this album. Um, this is the better one of the two. 
in my opinion. Um, yeah, no, yeah. she said that she went down there. She went and spent like six months with them yeah. um, just to try and, you know, see what she could get out mm-hmm. of working with them. And, mm-hmm. um, and based on that, that inspiration of what they did and what they were about, um, and she felt like they could add to the album and like they did. Um, oh, massively. In a massive way. Um, and again, it was sowing the seeds for the collective that was was being formed. Um, I mean, it, again, she's, with her being, um, with her being attached to D'Angelo the way that she was, with her relationship with Andre 3000, um, and then working with The Roots, um, which is to Dilla, like she joins so many different dots um, in terms of create or, or the beginnings of what became um, the neo soul movement and scene um, and the power of collective, the power of coming together and being able to, your fan base is um, intertwining, you know, if you like me, then put me onto these guys because I co-sign these guys and I'm on their records. And, you know, introducing yep. to other people and other sounds. Um, it, you know, it was really amazing the way that that came together. This song, um, it doesn't, it's not one that I always go to. It's not one that jumps out at me. But what I do love about it is the storytelling. I feel like she's telling a story that that hasn't, been told before and and isn't focused on like the story of the partner at home who's living the life who doesn't quite know what is going on and what's happening but she knows it's it is a little bit wrong and you know it could be trouble and it could lead to more trouble and she doesn't really want him to do it but she accepts that he has to do it because this is for whatever reason the option that he's got and that he's taking and he's got to kind of do it and she's got to try and support it but she doesn't really like it but you know she's just in this this conundrum mm-hmm. really of what to do and there's also that conundrum of well should I really stay with this person given that they're into all of this stuff but they love me so much and there's so much there and there's so much I love about that person um, like but yeah, I, again, I just think masterful storytelling that you can take those those lyrics and apply it to any relationship in terms of why you stay with someone and why you don't stay with someone. Um, I don't even think people would have been looking at it that deeply unless they were aware of those types of situations. And it was probably only as they got older and they listened to the album more and were experienced to more things mm-hmm. that people actually got what she was really talking about. Um, but the video does a good job of portraying that as well. And uh, again, it's just another, see, we have to talk about videos because back in back in that time, they were so important to telling the story of the album and exposing the album to other ears and new ears and people and stuff. And they did such a good job of a nice, clean, artistic, beautiful visual which just fits in with everything else that that they were doing like it's just it's it's so well this whole record is a and so well like um it you know it shows the art form of of a and that gets lost if you're not if you don't have an understanding of the game and you don't see it the way that you can 
the way that a good A&R working with a good artist who has a clear idea of what they want for themselves but might not be able to fully put the pieces of the puzzle together, a great A&R can make sure that those puzzles get put together and that they're then sold to the public in the way that they should be, that you're on the right TV shows, that you're gigging in the right places, that you're working with the right producers and you're making it all happen and just putting it together. And yeah, it's superb, superb. Absolutely. Uh, So that was the third release, third and final release. Mm. So as we usually do, uh, we need to do a best of the rest. So after the three singles, and would you agree that they're the three, if you're going to release three singles, would they be the three? Are there any weird choices on there? I don't think so, but. Um, I think that if you were, if you were going for a fourth single, um, you'd have gone for my personal favorite, Four Leaf Clover, the cover, the, the throwback to the soul, the proper soul music. Um, which they just do a nice, really straightforward job of of covering a classic and yeah, just making it sound sweet and soulful and nice. This that was the song that really got me listening to the album and getting into it because it's just good old fashioned soul music and yeah, there's nothing not to like about it, really and truly. Ash, um, I yeah. hate that song. Why? That's my least favorite. <laughs> I I feel like. I feel like it feels really out of context for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, especially, let me see, where does it come in the track listing now? Uh, let's have a look. Um, so when I was, so it comes, right, so it comes after, yeah. So it comes after Certainly. And I feel like from from Rimshot right up until Certainly, right, it's, there's a, there's a style. There's a there's a distinct style, and it's and it's it's jazzy, solely. It's straight neo soul, if, if for want of a better term, right? It's 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 other. It's not what's been happening in the R and B landscape up to now. And then, yeah. and then certainly finishes, which I I love certainly. I think that's a banger. Um, and then you get four leaf clover and then it's just like, Oh, what? I've just gone straight. I've just gone straight into, to, <laughs> I've just gone straight into choice of them late night. Like Judy Francis. Is that her name? Judy Francis. I think so. Jenny Francis. Jenny yeah. Francis. There you go. Jenny Francis. And it's just like, no, it's not what, it's not what I want to hear. Um, I, I can't actually remember listening to this track back then when it came out. So I'm just like, <laughs> You might not have got that far in the album. I might not have got that far in the album. That's a that's a good point. And uh, but listen to it like now. Um, once I once I've got into this album, like in late later on mid two thousands, I'm just like this. That song is. In fact, Ash, I'm just going to be honest, man. Four Leaf Clover, No Love, Drama, sometimes gets a slight bly. Like mm-hmm. I think that's like. But I think those four tracks. I'm just, just like, no. I think there's a, I think there's a distinct dip in quality, and I think we spoke about a similar thing happening with Urban Hand Suite, but mm-hmm. we again we gave it a blight because um, those songs t- still convey 
that story that he's telling that the whole narrative structure he still carries it along um yeah. whereas i feel like with these four tracks there's none of that going on it's just it almost feels like they're filler and if i think in another in another parallel parallel dimension this album wasn't a full album and it was an ep and it was an ep from rimshot up until certainly and it, and that's how it was released as an as an ep in a in a in a in a in another universe some cuz i feel like those ch- ch- those songs four leaf clover no love drama mm, sometimes maybe i feel like they just don't fit i really do i think we <laughs> might find that as a common theme with Badu and her albums. Um, when we get on to Mama's Gun, um, when that time comes, the a second album, again, there are songs on there that I just forget about and just don't, mm-hmm. don't mean anything or just get lost. And it was funny, actually, like get, digging into this, preparing for today, there were songs that I thought were on this album that actually weren't that were on Mama's Gun. Absolutely, I had the same. Yeah. I had the same issue. Yeah. Yep. You know, yep. And it's oh, hold on, that's not with that album. You know, just yep. actually fitting into the two. And uh, I, I don't think it's a bit, 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 bit um, controversial. Controversial. Hit me, Gun. I, I don't think she's ever released uh, a complete album in the same way that her contemporaries have. No. This album is the closest to it. Um, although it's not my favourite album of hers, this is the closest that she gets to it. And it's probably the reason why. And, and she talks about like 97 being... Yeah, the, 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 it was her pinnacle, right? She's never she's never reached that. And never. Had no. that. And again, it's part of the timing of it all and, and the nature of the business and, and all of that. Um, um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's a fair point. And I think that four-leaf clover was there for someone like me mm-hmm. who is a sort of more of a soul head. And actually, if you'd have heard it back then, it would have probably made you invest in the album a little bit more because it was something you wouldn't want to hear. Yeah. So basically, I was going to say that. I, I, I think they were put on there. And I think that's why there are so many um, producers on this album because I think Kedar Messenberg, I think he probably would have had the ideas like we still, this is, she's doing kind of way out stuff. Even even though it's accessible and people dig it, we we need to make sure that it still fits mm. fits within the landscape and the and the general vibe of what's going on in '97. And you know, I reeled off the artists that were in the R&B charts at the time, so you know there was a there was a certain style going on. But you're right; it was for people like me who who wanted that kind of sound like into Drew Hill. I was listening to that stuff a hell of a lot. So yeah, but now I just like, it's, it's just, yeah, it just doesn't feel in context. Um, and you're right about, I, I thought there were a whole, whole bunch of tracks that from Mama's Gun, I thought were on here. Yeah. A whole bunch. It's re- it was really odd to not find them here. Um, but yeah, I, and I think Mama Gun's my favorite. Um, I probably prefer it of the two, um, yeah. even now. But um, but definitely, this is this has more. It's got more of a vision. This album, it's it's got more 
it knows what it wants to be. I feel like, and she's very eclectic, and she and she talks about being a um, being being eclectic, and another reason why she doesn't really like the whole neo soul thing. She goes, maybe what about the fact that she likes funk, or what about the fact that she hip hop's a, a major influence, you know, and all that stuff. It doesn't. She's not just soul, but mm. so, it, it, look, the name is a marketing tool. Yeah, it is a marketing tool. So nothing more than that. Yeah, she recognizes what it is. I feel like Badoism had a clear vision, and yeah, it's no, it's 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 it, it's no mistake why. Yeah, there's no there's no mystery why it's a it's a most successful. I I feel. Oh, and I had a theory about actually when you were talking about um at the beginning, you were talking about why it was so accessible to to non non black people and stuff like that. Well, I I I feel like because she was she leans heavily. On her jazz, old jazz influences, Yanina Simone's, um, Ella Fitzgerald's, yeah. and all that stuff, and I feel like um, white people have always liked that kind of stuff. Anyway, so you get that, you get that sort of that jazz style, you know, and putting it in within um, a modern context, I just feel like it was just, it was just, it was like the secret sauce. I feel like she had the secret sauce to to cross over. Do you know yeah. what I mean? W- way more than D'Angelo Maxwell. But then, not only do you have that, so that appeal to so, to a, a non-black audience, but then obviously with the African centricness, all that stuff, then you still she's she, she's still got the black elements as well. So she's sort of like she's straddling like two two schools, but really easily <laughs> do you know what I mean really easily and really well and it doesn't feel contrived it feels like that's that's her that's a her style is a combination of all her influences do you know what I mean and it just comes out in her plus talking about her videos you know what I mean she's she's clearly an artist you can tell she went to she went to performing art school you know like in her interview she was saying like you know if she didn't do music she would have done something arty she would have you know, been an artist, did dance, something, some kind of visual art form. You can tell. Yeah. And just in her stylings alone, I feel she married all that together best on this album. I feel like Mama's Gun, not as sort of not as tight as this one, is probably the last kind of tight album she did. After that, it was just like a three for all, sort of like of ideas, just, just, I like this song. I'm doing it. It's it's almost like you were talking about strong A and Ring. I don't yeah. think there was any strong A and Ring on later albums. It was just her A and Ring herself. And one thing I don't think you should ever let the artists A and R themselves. Yeah, no. But and there is also that thing. Um, and again, when when you're looking at artists and you're looking at their albums and what they've done and what they haven't done, you know, it's it's a lot to get to album four and bring a quality body of work and have still have songs in your in your arsenal songs that you can pull out of yourself that can can hit the way that the authenticity and uh, the realness of your first two albums can do and most people most artists don't do it if you check it some might get one and two right some might get one not get two but then get number three um, and if you're very lucky, then you might have four and five, which have a couple of hits, but yeah. not real clear bodies of work that your fan base will really get into and appreciate because they're yearning for 
what you did before and you're not that same artist and you know you you know there's that age-old thing of like your first album you've been writing your whole life and then after that like you you've written your album the next two years of your life and you can't have experienced everything you know that you've experienced beforehand there's a a lot to say in that and a lot to say in that there's only seven notes that you have to work with that's it you know and you, you, there's only so many combinations that you can do and, and play around with. So, you know, there, there is lifespan in artists. It, it's an unfortunate mm. truth and nature of the game. Oh, absolutely. You I've know? Seen, I've seen it in my idol. My idol prints, definitely. Later albums yeah. just, just aren't, aren't, aren't as good. Just plain and simple. Yeah. hate to say it, but it's the truth, you know? So, but she's, I mean, she still makes bangers, but it's just... Yeah, no, and so did Prince. Yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. he still made like hits here and there. And I feel like as an artist, you know, sometimes it, it might be a good option to then go down the writing route and working mm. with artists and helping them bring out their mm. art and the best in them. But that's a different conversation. Yeah, it's a different conversation. Um, no, although she, I think she's a bit, seeing some recent interviews, I feel like she's a bit philosophical about her, I want to say her Wayne because it's not way, but she she's she was saying um, she just always has felt more like a, a live artist anyway. Mm. So now, like she spends most of her time touring. That's when I like I like her the most anyway. What seeing yeah. her live? I don't know how you how you felt about it. Well, yeah, how do you feel? But you know, the we went to see her, right? We mm-hmm. went to where did we go? Brixton. Brixton. What year was that? Two thousand four, three. Yeah. So way after, way, way after. after. This is uh this is during what had just come out then. So this would have been so, uh, no, well, Worldwide Underground? What? Yeah. Huh? Uh, yeah, it would have been oh, oh, it would have been about oh five. Oh five no, was it? I started uni in oh five. So I didn't know you till oh six. No, I'm lying. No, you started, lying you started in, I left uni in 05. Yeah, Exactly. Um yeah. Yeah, 04, I, we saw in I think we saw in oh four. Uh, I remember yeah. because I I was in a complex situation at the time uh, of, of the show that I won't go into. But yeah, my situation was very complex um, and complicated. But she was, she was immense yeah. that show. Yeah. She was, she, she blew my mind. I think that was probably the, the, that sort of like blew the last like shred of doubt I may have had about how good she was because I always tend to sort of like really complete my rating of artists after I've seen them live. Hence why, hence why Music Soul Child gets a massive thumbs down for me. <laughs> like massive. He's just not even on the list anymore. Um, he was that bad. But um, she, was, she was amazing. Awesome. Mm. And again, totally different. I think I'd already seen, I think I'd already seen D'Angelo and Maxwell live before her so again totally different way more of a it's a way more visual yeah. way more of a visual performance and then and she's got and then i mean that stuff she that that half dj and stuff she does when she does live you know when she does the she mm. sort of like triggers beats and stuff like that it's dope watching that yeah. live and i mean i mean for people now like that's like loads of loads of unsigned people do that stuff now but like this is 2000 what was 2003 2004 we're talking it's like yeah, yeah. it's just it's just friggin' impressive 
and and again yeah. like not not to not to go back to genders but again females and and tech you know yeah. like exactly. Exactly. they're not you know this whole there's this whole stigma that they're not yeah. supposed to be producers and they're not you know they're just a singer and and there she is like owning it i've got my mpc and mm-hmm. i'm going to throw in beats in here and i'm going to oh. throw in my own samples and i'm going to handle it and do it because i know my stuff and I, and this is my art and this is my music and mm-hmm. why shouldn't you know women be in tech and, and dealing with it like awesome yeah. awesome absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> absolutely but actually talking about live we are going to have to do a live <laughs> album pod featuring um, um, D'Angelo at Jazz Caf mm. Maxwell and the live album and Erica's live album. Yeah. Which may be the best of the three. I'm just putting it out there. It's, mm. it's sensational. It's yeah. sensational. I feel like she just, she should just put out live albums from now on. I feel like it's, it is so dope. It's, I mean, it's so good. Again, and that helped, that helped my transition into her. Back when that came and, out, and it came out the same year as the album. Came, came out, out same the album. Came you know, out, yeah. again, there's so many people that reference it. Again, when I was reaching out, you know, one of my friends, just as much as she loved the album, like the live was what took her, mm-hmm. and you know, left so much of an impression of her. The way that she controlled, you know, her musicians, her band, and 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 you, again, you you don't have a visual. Like you're just listening and you can mm-hmm. hear that control and that ownership and that that mastery like that she has. And I love that. I love I love when um the front person or the, the main artist has that control over a band. It's like it's James Brown esque or it's it's Prince esque. It's just like yeah, it's just like to me it's just like it's real musician shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that and, and you hear it and every performance you see of her she's just like that she's just like like breaking down or she's like or bring it up or or like oh man she's just she knows what she's doing and it's just it's so tight and it's so impressive I just I, I love it I just, and she follows the feeling as well like it's it's in the element it's in the moment that she knows right I'm feeling this and they're feeling that so I we're going to draw to this and we're going to move to this like and that again that's the that's the another sign of a great showman and and performer that you can read the crowd and read the energy and feel it and know where to take it and where to drive your people and and the hope that your your band and your musicians are are well drilled enough to know how to follow you and how to to implement what you want them to implement while you're up there on stage and yeah you know that album that time that we saw her like she she delivers without without question um in a way that again is unique because she's not like she can she can belt it out with the best of them but that's not her finesse Mm -hmm. that's not her skill her skill is just in the way that she tells stories yeah like to kind of go back to the album she's she's brought poetry into this game and in the way that her words and I think she did a lot for spoken word and and that that element and that movement and that scene that was going on that you know is is in and around the neo soul movement but isn't spoken to as much or hasn't had uh, similar heights 
uh, or, or spoken word artists didn't have similar heights. You know, Ursula Rucker did a lot with the roots, but mm-hmm. you know that that was as far as it, it ever really got. Um, Floetry did a really good job, actually. Yeah, kind of bringing poetry into music, but she was a catalyst for it in the way that she she told her stories. Like, it was yeah, phenomenal. Like that first um, apple tree. Well, the, I was actually going to get to like um, I was going to get to. You know, because as we come into a close, I was going to say, like, for people who haven't uh, heard this album before, what are the other sort of like notable tracks? Because we've only spoken about like three or four, but like yeah. Apple Tree is immense. Right? <laughs> Man, what an opening! It, what an it opening. is. That it is. is what, and again, so you're, you're track free into the album. And again, if you didn't know what this is about, you do now. Mm-hmm. Like, opening lines and making it very clear to, and you're just like oh you're gonna give me some different kind of food i didn't know that didn't have food. Mm-hmm. all right cool and then the bass kicks in on that song oh, mate. oh man like the bass again a common theme for every everyone's comments about the album like the bass lines are immense like they're so powerful and so just key to it all like as much as I think this album used the roads a, a little bit more than than the other two that we've talked about. But for me, like the this, this album is a lot about the rhythm, about the boom bap, about mm-hmm. that that click and that snap on the snare, um, mm-hmm. and the kick drum and the bass line and the way that those two complement each other. I feel she did it. She she showcased that, and that was at the heart. It was it was her words and the kick in the, the yeah the kick the snare and the bass like those were the, the, the those were the core and at the heart of everything that she did on this album and then everything else just kind of complements it and is sprayed all over it to give it the final song wow. yeah core elements man amazing yeah. amazing i love apple tree yeah apple tree i would say certainly both versions are dope yeah <laughs> well worth listening to so for anyone that hasn't listened to this album or hasn't listened to it in ages, go back to revisit it um, with fresh ears. Uh, it's, it's, it's dope. Um, really, really creative. Um, I wish I could go back in time and give myself a slap because I feel like I missed out on it. Do you know what's really weird? Talking about the spoken word thing, um, the, my girlfriend at the time, she was a, she was a poetry person she was a poetry writer she was a poet she was a poet but a bit, bit more prose but she did poetry but she was just like she was like one of the first people's like listen to the words because I thought it was just like oh yeah she's a woman that's why you're into her now, now you got like you had your Maxwell now it's like it's time for you to go into your you know your African centric soul sister vibe do you know what I mean I was like yeah whatever she's like no 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 listen to the words listen to what she's saying she's saying some real shit and like again I've said before wasn't much into lyrics but once I started listening to the lyrics it sort of like draws you in a little bit more yeah yeah do it do it to yourself you owe it to yourselves yeah go and listen and then after you listen to that then go and listen to the live album and have those have those two in rotation for a bit then go mama's gun and then you're good (laughs) and then you're good (laughs) i'm just saying um ash final thoughts final thoughts final thoughts um 
yeah, just an, another real key moment in the neo soul soul music movement is this album. I think um, there have been a couple of other albums that came out in between Hang Sweet and Arduism Dropping, but in the three albums that we've we started this series talking about, really lay clear, solid foundations and blueprints for the scene and and how to gain success from it and they give three separate caricatures with their own vibe their own outlook you've got the preacher sign who's a little bit rough around the edges you've got the smooth clean slick soul singer and you've got the afrocentric poet poetic female singer um all just tapping into different elements but using the sound to to tell their stories and bring people together and you know really bring back musicianship like there's there's a lot to be said for r&b music and it, it gets played down a lot sometimes because they're loops uh continuously but you know some of the the chord arrangements and the bridge arrangements and the vocal arrangements in r&b music is actually second to none in its musicianship despite that you know there's lots of triangles and shakers mm-hmm. processed mm-hmm. percussion and mm-hmm. you know program work in there um but this this scene really brought back musicality uh, and prominence to black music in a way that earth wind and fire did and that um the commodores did and the spinners did and and you know all of the greats of mm-hmm. those eras and it was coming from an era where it begun to be about the voice more so with your Luther Vandross and your mm-hmm. Nita Baker even though the music was still high it was more about the vocal and production and that element of actually we're shit hot musicians mm-hmm. and we we know what we're about and I feel like this scene was able to bring it back to that and put the focus back on the instrumentation and and the musical playing um and again like baduism is a massive part of it because it has a different element a different focus than the other two albums have which is just as important in creating what came on next which is what we'll talk about next you know yeah i there's nothing more i can say actually you you summed that up excellently um we've done it again um a proper long one another proper long one but it's been fun oh one thing i wanted to do add to the end of this one um what are you listening to i feel feel like i feel like we should get ash's recommendations because you listen to a lot of music um people you'll come to realize that ashley listens to a lot a lot of music um, so for this week, Ash, maybe every week I'll, I'll get, I want to Ash recommends. So, and it doesn't, doesn't have to be, you know, it could just be some, someone could be any, doesn't have to be a new artist. It could be just something you're listening to this week. Like, you know, you sent me the tracks the other day. You just like, I'll oh, listen to this album or whatever, whatever. So who you been listening to this week? Uh, this week's been a really tough week. It's not been, mm-hmm. been a fun week to mm-hmm. be honest. And I've had to, adapt my musical listening okay listening to the uh, i don't know the trauma of being a black person in this in this moment in history um yeah, yeah. like 
it's it's really tough. Um, Absolutely. So, as well as digging into this album, um, the other one that I've been listening to a lot of is up. Uh, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Ezra Collective, who are a UK jazz hip hop fusion group who mm-hmm. dropped their first album last year, um, and they have a particular track called Chapter 7, which came off of an EP a few years back, which features Ty. Um, okay. And again, it's just a perfect combination of like piano, drums, horns, bass line, like really good soulful jazz. And then Ty just spitting, spitting his truths mm-hmm. that actually kind of fit in with current times as well. It was a it's a song that really kind of picked me up. So yeah, Chapter Seven, Ezra Collective featuring Ty. Um, yeah, go go check it out. It's a good one. Cool. Thanks, my man. So thanks again for a great podcast. Indeed. And uh, and thanks everyone for listening. I hope you're listening. I hope we'll have listeners. Oh yeah, yeah make sure you're make sure you're following, following us on the show shawls. So the Reflection yeah. Music Podcast. We're on Insta, we are on Twitter. So yeah, get following. And if you like what you're hearing, then do subscribe, give us a rating, exactly. tell your friends, tell a friend. Uh if they like this type of music, um, it would be great to get your comments on it. I'm I've been getting a load of interesting fun stories from people talking about their album so yeah it'd be great to hear what you guys think about it and um yeah maybe we can share it in future episodes yeah and then then if if you have any sort of like suggestions that things you'd like us to speak about or touch on more because obviously we've only got a certain amount of time so we it feels like we could talk about these albums forever and sometimes actually now we do um but if there is something you want us to focus on more shine more light on um let us know we're open to suggestions and uh yeah want it to be kind of a, a collaborative experience um but yeah thanks for listening and ash i'll see you next time yes indeed Come nice one, Jay. You.